0: Hey there everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the Wisdom of Podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks as you can be certain of one thing They will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of... Coming up today, Why Socrates is Still Relevant...
1: Just a a quick little housekeeping off the top. The last episode I was on, you know, well, at the behest of our our new bosses, we were talking about the last episode, when Dynatex Industries had us do that ad for Aunt Ginny's compressed food cubes. I'm really sorry that I have to announce that under no circumstances should you eat them. Turns out the sharp corners of the cube, well, they cannot be digested, and frankly, they tear up your insides, something awful. I know, it's why I wasn't on the last couple episodes. I was, uh, I was dealing with an interestingly perforated lower intestine, which is not as fun as it sounds. But don't worry, you can still satisfy your compressed food cravings with Aunt Ginny's compressed food balls. Balls have no corners, your guts will thank you. Now... I've kind of been going behind behind the back of our of our real host here doing this football ad because, you know, he actually spoke, spoke up rather vociferously and said that all this corporate stuff it just it had to go and he delivered an impassioned yet reasoned demand for the the immediate halting of all these commercialized compromises. Well, The Dynatex people heard you, and they sent me a message. You haven't heard this yet, but they sent me a message and said, wow, that guy's intense. He's strong-willed. He's the Socrates of our time. And then they took a beat for comedic effect, strange thing to do in a message form, but they took a beat and said, he's the Socrates in that we all want him dead. But since they brought him up, why not just do an episode on Socrates and maybe just keep an eye out for whatever you're drinking for the next little while. Jeez, that, that's awful.
0: Is Dinotex going to spike our drinks with hemlock? But uh, hey, you're, you're right. I'll gladly drink it all up if it means dropping all compressed food ball ads. That's just the, the kind of guy I am. Well, okay, so back to Earth's orbit. And so first, and as usual... A brief introduction. So, Socrates was an ancient Greek philosopher born in uh, 470 BC who's often seen as the founder of Western philosophy. Socrates was a mercurial figure who, because he didn't believe that writing was an effective way of communicating, didn't write anything down. So, what we know of him and his ideas comes from accounts of other writers, the most important of which is, of course, Plato. Socrates' influence has been enormous. It's been felt far beyond philosophy itself,
1: and in every age. I love getting credit. I love getting credit for, you know, offbeat, off-the-cuff musings on this thing that I like to call life. That said, I also love to give others credit when I'm using someone else's idea. You know, if I take someone else's joke. Now, if you asked Freud, Young, or Barbara Streisand's character, who was trying to fix Nick Nolte in Prince of Tides, I think, they'd probably say that I like to give credit mostly because I want to get credit for giving credit. And furthermore, they'd say now that I want credit for admitting to wanting credit for giving credit. But as much as I love all that credit, it pains me that I can't give it right now. I, I plum forgot where I'd heard this before, so complete apologies. But I heard someone somewhere say something to the effect that if we imagine like some distance in the future, so many cultural moments, any kind of moments really, but so many cultural moments will be reduced to just a handful of examples. Like what I'm talking about, like in another 75 years, give or take, rock and roll. Rock and roll will be reduced in the mind of the general public to Elvis, Presley, not Costello, the Beatles, and maybe if you're like a really hardcore hipster of the 22nd century, maybe you know fringe artists like the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan. It's like if you ask, a like today, if you ask an average dullard like me about classical music, I would say, oh yeah, Beethoven or Mozart, and that's pretty much it. So what does stick around like that? When things get relatively washed away, like great things, interesting things, just kind of gone from the general consciousness, you can't help but have, I don't know, a great admiration for those examples that do manage to stay relevant. Like one example, our focus today. Never mind the Beatles weathering the next 75 years How about Socrates? This dude has been around for closer to 7,500 years. Now, I've been told that you should not check those numbers. They might be what mathematicians call, really in a smug way, call it incorrect. But whatever the time, Socrates has been relevant throughout the years, even today. It's like, it's like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They travel back in time. They grab a handful of historical figures to help them with their big homework project or something. So who do they snag? They grab Genghis Khan. They don't seek out Guyuk Khan. They pick up Napoleon. They do not go visit Queen Louise of Prussia. And of course, no Aristophanes or anyone like that. They grab Socrates. So why? Why did Keanu and that, uh, whatever the face that other guy is, why'd they pick him up?
0: Well, to be told, of course, that like sands of the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. What, you don't think I have time for some Keanu Reeves and, uh, What's-His-Face movies? No, but I take your point. Socrates looms large no matter what period of history. So why exactly? Well, to sort of answer a part of that... What I thought I'd do in this episode is to run through a few ways in which what Socrates has to say is still relevant or topical today. Now, if I'm being honest, I think the list is endless here. He's that incredible of a thinker, and what he has to teach us is pretty much universal or applicable in any time period. But that said, what I thought I'd try to do is focus in on three sort of themes. They are 1. The power of rhetoric two, the importance of integrity, and three, a reconsideration of beauty. Okay, so let me start with the subject of rhetoric, because it was a hugely important one in Socrates' world, and still is today. And uh, let me begin with this. Socrates wasn't a big fan of it, at least certain versions of it. Okay, so what Socrates does, at least at times, is he opposes rhetoric to philosophy. And The opposition is this. Philosophy aims at the truth and at the good, he says, while rhetoric aims at persuasion regardless of what's true or good. As a matter of fact, for Socrates, rhetoric was essentially just a kind of flattery. You know, where you flatter and pander to the audience you're speaking to, where you just say what they want to hear, ultimately because you want to win them over and gain some kind of prestige or power for yourself. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, Socrates makes an interesting analogy that might help us to see some of the main differences between rhetoric and philosophy. So what he says is that rhetoricians are like pastry cooks, and philosophers are like doctors. So what does he mean by this? Well, when doctors advise you to eat something, they're doing it for your health, and their advice is grounded in deep-seated knowledge about medicine. On the other hand, what do pastry cooks do? Well, they just basically cater to your pleasure, without at all thinking about your health, nor, in fact, knowing anything about it at all. Okay, but now here's the unfortunate thing, though. Socrates says that if these two individuals were to both try to make their case in front of a a group of people, the doctor wouldn't stand a chance. His or her words and their advice just won't be as appealing or as palatable as those of the pastry cook even though what the cook is offering is unhealthy and what the doctor is telling them to take is actually good for them well likewise when it comes to trying to convince people of the truth through doing philosophy or through rational discourse socrates says that most people just won't find it appealing or palatable i mean unlike being presented with a pastry Philosophy and the search for truth is sometimes just unpleasant and difficult and often people don't want to submit to it and its arguments, just like they don't want to submit to the doctor's painful cures. And so really the bottom line is that people aren't going to be persuaded by evidence and argument. No, they're going to be persuaded by pandering, worthless rhetoric. People aren't concerned about the well-being of their soul which for Socrates means they don't want to be free of false beliefs. No, what they want is something that's easy and digestible and something that placates their appetites. They want the gratifying but empty pastry. Truth, virtue, and health be damned. Okay, now I'd say that we have a problem with rhetoric today too. But actually, I think that our situation is even worse than that. What I mean is that in the ancient Greek world, even though I didn't quite get to that, rhetoric, however nefarious it may have seemed to some, it was still a kind of art or skill. I mean, it consisted of various techniques and such. I mean, even the cook has to be able to put together the pastry, right? So, for instance... Ancient rhetoricians talked about how to make the weaker argument the stronger, and they had technical ways of doing that. They talked about the application of long speeches. They used all sorts of logical tricks, and they made sure to do all of this with a polished, stylistic brilliance. But what do we have today? Well, in place of anything somewhat sophisticated and technical and thoughtful, We have instead things like excessive exaggeration, contradiction, offensiveness, personal insults, cliches, platitudes, blatant lies, bluster and brash and bullying, sensationalism, outrageousness, and often all this in the service of pushing conspiracy theory, junk science, radical ideology, and partisan politics all with the ultimate aim, of course, of maximizing opportunism and self-interest, which, remarkably, no one even really bothers to hide. I don't know if Socrates was worried about the rhetoric of his time. Surely he'd have an aneurysm if he was around today to see what was happening. Forget well-crafted pastry. It's toxic vomit. When we're pulled in by things like this, when our allegiance becomes tied to to the loudest, to the most vulgar and the least thoughtful, when we don't even try in the least to address each other in the pursuit of truth, it's hard to understand how it is we can ever really move forward. Okay, well, you know what? I think this is a good time to move to the second theme I mentioned, namely integrity. I mean, this is something that Socrates was renowned for, and it's worth thinking a bit about, however briefly. Okay, so for Socrates' Integrity had to do with, well, in general, things like honesty, and coherence, and consistency, and soundness of being, and being steadfast in one's commitments and principles. But let's get a bit more specific. So what Socrates says himself is that the worst thing that one can be is out of harmony with oneself, or in contradiction with oneself. Actually, his his full quote is this. It's, It would be better for me that multitudes of men should disagree with me rather than I, being one, should be out of harmony with myself. Now, the word that he uses, harmony, that's interesting and suggestive. I mean, what it suggests is that there's different parts in us that need to be congruently arranged so that we become internally harmonious and whole. So that's what integrity essentially means for Socrates. Actually, you know, it's interesting. The word integrity is derived from the Latin word integer, which meant wholeness, entirety, or completeness. Anyway, the idea here for Socrates is that what it means to have integrity is that you don't let your desires and beliefs and your words and your actions split apart and go asunder. But instead, you bring them into some fundamental consistency. So if you say it, it's because you believe it. And if you believe it and say it, you do it. In other words, there's an accordance between what you believe and say and how you behave. That was Socrates to a T. There was just nothing hypocritical about him. Even in his last days, when he was uh, sentenced to death, he could have escaped and he could have resorted to using rhetorical language to persuade others to let him go. But instead... Because he sincerely believed in certain principles, he spoke plainly and honestly and decided to stay in prison to drink the hemlock. He chose to die for the sake of what he believed was right and true. Again, that's integrity. Okay, well, I won't go into too much here, but I don't think I'd be alone in saying that we're currently suffering from a lack of such integrity today, especially, but not limited to, the political arena. That's to say, there seems to be more than a a little gap between what a lot of people avow and how they live. But here's the thing. What are you exactly if you say one thing and do another? What are you if you're just a bundle of inconsistencies and contradictions? Without some degree of intellectual and moral integrity, without some internal consistency, Are you really anything at all? I mean, if you have no integrity, you have no moral compass. And if you have no moral compass, then you don't really have a self, do you? And so, what are you exactly? Other than a leaf blowing in the wind, selling yourself off to the prevailing current. Okay, well, so, you know what, let's lighten things up a bit. So the last thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about was Socrates and the subject of beauty. Actually, to be more specific, I want to say something about the significance of Socrates' appearance and how that relates to the larger topic of beauty. But before I do, let me uh, back up a bit and give some context here. Okay, so to put it bluntly, for the ancient Greeks, beauty was, to say the least, extremely important. They were fascinated with it. I mean, just think of the Venus de Milo and the statues of Aphrodite. Or um, of Helen of Troy and her face that launched a thousand ships. Or of the shining Odysseus with his uh, well-muscled shoulders. In other words, looks mattered. They made a cult of idealized beauty. But actually, in some sense, it also goes deeper than just surface appearances. You see, for the Greeks, a beautiful face or body was considered to be uh, a direct evidence of also having a beautiful mind or soul. In other words, a perfect exterior mirrored an inner perfection, uh, an inner beauty and nobility. So, physical beauty was thought to be connected to psychological beauty. Beautiful biceps or breasts meant a beautiful character. Okay. Now, all that said, enter Socrates. So what does he look like? Well, he was a little bit disturbing, to say the least. You know, he had this weird, swaggering walk. He had uh, protruding crab eyes. He had a big snub nose and exaggerated lips. And to uh, top it all off, a pot belly. Actually, you know, some also said that he had a face like a, like a satyr. You know, the part man, part goat creature. The point is, by most accounts, he was a a strange sight to behold. So just imagine someone as prominent like this walking around in the midst of a beauty-obsessed society. You'd think he'd be be ridiculed and ignored, right? But here's the thing, though. Every time someone talked to Socrates or, or got personal with him, they started to be pulled into him by his words and his demeanor and his character. In other words, they became entranced by just how beautiful this man was, appearances withstanding. Socrates may have cut an ugly figure, but he revealed nothing but beauty and goodness inside. The point is that what Socrates did is this. He turned beauty inside out. He showed that there's a much more powerful form of beauty than the one associated with the surface of our skin. And not only that, but he counseled his fellow Greeks not to be fooled by that bright, shiny surface. Because what that bright, shiny surface often does is it hides the empty and sometimes the decadent. In other words, what it often does is it conceals an inner poverty it hints at a soul unattended to. Okay, but all that said, I think Socrates is sending an even deeper message here. He's not just urging his fellow Greeks and us to question the importance of physical appearance, but he's asking us to question appearances, period. There's a world beyond mere appearance, he's saying, and it's much more beautiful and much more interesting than we think it is. I think that's the central Socratic message. Don't be satisfied with the surface of things. Go past it and dig deeper, and you'll discover that what you thought was the most beautiful of things can't hold a candle to the treasures that lie within. Listening to
1: the Wisdom of Podcast.
0: If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode.